Hello, uh, welcome to the McCall School of Business and our Leaders in Action speaker series. Um, I'm Rick Matthew, I'm the Dean of the McCall School of Business and uh, this is uh, my second, second year here in the McCall School at Queens and uh, I just asked Will Sparks, our, our, uh, our professor leading the Leaders in Action, I said, Will, how long have we been doing the Leaders in Action series? And we've been doing this for 18 years now and it really, this speaker series is exceptional and I think we have an exceptional speaker today, so it should really be great. But I just want to remind everyone about the McCall School of Business and what we stand for. We stand for the three C's, which stand for competence. We, we promote competence in the skills of our business students. Uh, we are very dedicated to a second C, commitment to community. So we are actively engaged in the business community. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, is character. And uh, all of our students are instilled with the character to be successful citizens uh, here. And I think our speaker today is going to uh, teach us a, lo a lot about character. So I'm going to turn it over to Will Sparks to introduce our speaker today. Thank you, Dean Thank Matthew. You. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we're delighted to see you here. It's great to have a full auditorium like this. And so um, very excited and grateful to have Kristen Seaford with us tonight for what I know will be a compelling and inspiring uh, message to share with us. So Kristen, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And if you're game and ready, then we'll just dive right in and get started. Thank you. Well, Okay. Yes. Kristen's bio, hopefully you have this here, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her educational and professional background, but there's a lot of information here, so please feel free. Uh, if you did not pick one up, we've got some available outside um, as you exit. Uh, just a couple of quick reminders. Um, after, immediately following this, we, we will have a hard stop, as we always do, at 625 to allow those of you that have class scheduled tonight uh, to only be half an hour late for your class. For those of you that uh, do not have class tonight and would like to join us for the reception, we will have that immediately following tonight's lecture in the rotunda. So if you go upstairs, uh, follow, look for the bar or look for the line at the bar and you'll know that you're at the reception. And we'd be delighted if you could stay with us uh, and enjoy that as well. So again, welcome and uh, let's get started. So Kristen, uh, maybe start a little bit with telling us about yourself. Uh, if you could tell us where you grew up, your educational and professional background, and you have a special connection to the McCall School with your husband, Brooke. So maybe tell us about that as well. Yes, I'm going to talk about me first, and then I'll talk about my husband. <laughs> but um, yes, I'm a Charlotte native, very few of us around. But I grew up it, right here in Charlotte and had many ins and outs um, involved with Queens, as it is such a staple of our community. And I started out. Um, my professional career in advertising and then when I decided that that wasn't fulfilling me completely I went back to graduate school in psychology counseling and then I came back and worked here at C not here but at CPCC across the way and so worked there for several years and then I went into private practice 
And also during that time, I met my wonderful husband, Brooke, who should be here, but he has bronchitis. So he's at home. <laughs> but so we have been married for 15 years. And when our children started to outnumber us, <laughs> then I began to just be a full stay-at-home mom. Okay. And I've always worked a little bit here and there, but mostly just stayed at home with the kids. And as we're going to talk about a little bit more, that has uh, become even more of a leadership role and a management role okay. in my life. Okay. Okay. Now tell us, so, so your educational background, the ACC is well represented. Tell us about yes, your, where you went to school and your degrees. Yes. I went to Duke for undergrad and I graduated in 1997. And then I waited a few years and went to Wake Forest for a graduate school. So I hated Carolina twice. Ah. <laughs> so are you a devil or a as, demon? As, I guess we're as Half, half the people leave the room. <laughs> Probably more than half, but yeah. Oh, no. So are you a devil or a deacon uh, when they play each other? Um, I think I'm a devil. I can't mm -hmm. get that out of me. Okay. But it is much, you know, when I'm at a cocktail party, I really emphasize wake because nobody hates wake. <laughs> I mean, wake is like Canada. That's I mean, what? nobody hates wake. <laughs> Excellent. All right, wonderful. Now, uh, so um, we've mentioned Brooke. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, his connection here and also oh, about your family. Yes, yeah, yeah. thank you. Brooke actually is a graduate of the McCall School, and that is how he met you, Will. Mm -hmm. And so he graduated in 2005 from uh, McCall School. And then he has done lots of different types of insurance and sold this and that. But he had a change of heart mm -hmm. and God changed his heart in a big way and called him to become a pastor in the Lutheran church. And so he has been in seminary for seven years now, wow. as he worked part-time as well, mm -hmm. and he will graduate in May. Oh. So, um, yes, and then right now he is doing his internship. He's a vicar at Cross and Crown Church in Matthews, mm -hmm. and we will be looking for our own church, hopefully not too far away, yeah. uh, this fall. Yeah. Our, I, we actually we used to go to the same church, Christ yes, Lutheran, and true. I guess you're still members, but now obviously true. going to Cross and Crown. True. One of my favorite memories is on one of the um, unusual Sundays when I showed up on time <laughs> and I was actually there. Uh, you all were a couple of pews in front of me, and I don't know if you remember this, but um, with your family, and Brooke looked around and said, Dr. Sparks, I would invite you to join us, but we don't have any more room on our pew. <laughs> So, so tell us so about the number of children. The next question yeah. is, I do have five children. And the youngest is four, and the oldest is 13. Mm. So we do have enough for a basketball team. <laughs> Although we're not tall. <laughs> we are, we're not big people. Mm. But... Um, there was something else I was going to say about the kids. Oh, I know what it was. And everyone kind of gasps when they hear me say five kids. And apparently that is impressive. 
I will, uh, whenever I am, you know, out and about, I will, you know, tell people, oh, I am a triple amputee missing most of my remaining foot, you know, and so I'm telling that story and then I say, and everyone's like, oh, you know, sorry that, that, you know, what a horrible thing to go through. And then I'll say, and I have five kids. <gasps> what? <laughs> you know, I'm known for that, not that I'm an amputee. <laughs> but well, it's actually not so horrible. <laughs> I well, do, I love my big family yeah. and it's gotten, the big family has gotten me through. They're terrific. I've I feel it's like I'm part of it. Times. I watch you all on Facebook, so it's it's terrific. It's but, funny. because yeah, he's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> well, let's, so let's let's dive into that a little bit. Can you tell us what happened? Um, what happened? Uh, what was your recovery mm -hmm. like a little bit? And then maybe segue into kind of like what's a typical day like for you? Sure. Um, back in 2013. I was, like I mentioned, a stay-at-home mom, and I also did work part-time at the Y down in Matthews as a group exercise instructor, and I was a big marathon runner. I was, for all intents and purposes, just a healthy, normal mom. Well. There was a week back in November of 2013 where my kids were passing around flu and strep bugs and all those things and practicing for basketball season, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, they were just passing them around and I knew that I would eventually get sick as well. But just like a CEO doesn't get many sick days, mm -hmm. neither does a mom. And so I just kept pushing through. And there was a Saturday night that I, you know, started to feel feverish. I knew it was coming. And then after a fitful night of sleep and a sore throat and severe fevers and chills, I woke up that Sunday and I said, honey, I feel so terrible. Please, you know, you just take the kids onto church without me and let me rest. And, you know, I'll be better by the afternoon, but I just didn't get any sleep and I have to, I just have to rest. You know, um, I'm sure you all felt that way where you just can't move. All you want to do is sleep. And so that's what I did. I laid in the bed and went to sleep. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in a hospital bed over at Presbyterian Hospital after what had been a three-week medically induced coma. And what happened to me, I don't remember. I've just been told the story. So bear with me and I'm not going to give you all the details, but that Sunday my family came home from church a couple hour, hours after they left me and they uh, 
the two oldest ones were running up the stairs and I think they were fighting and they were each running up the stairs to tattle first. You know how that works when you know you're running up with the sibling and you know that if you tell your mom the story first she'll be on your side, right? Well so my oldest two were doing that and when they got to the top of the stairs, they came upon my bedroom and they came upon me and I was barely breathing, unconscious, gasping for air. I was turning blue in color, which is what happens when you have been without oxygen for many minutes. And you can imagine the chaos that ensued but they were able to call the ambulance, Brooke performed CPR until the rescue got there and they got me to Presby Matthews. Mm -hmm. And I just kept getting worse and worse. They did um, diagnose me with the flu and with strep throat. Um, but what happened is the strep throat turned to pneumonia and that infection eventually got into uh, my blood. Uh, that's called sepsis. And once an infection gets into your blood, it's bad news. And that sepsis, that blood infection, started to attack my organs one by one mm. and kill them off. And so at one point, I was on full dialysis, more than 100% oxygen. I was intubated, ventilated. I had a tracheotomy. They were giving me powerful blood pressure medications. Some of them were even experimental. And they also put me in a bed where I was head down and they were consistently turning me in 360 degree ang uh, angle just very very slowly the idea was to drain my lungs mm -hmm. uh, to get that pneumonia out mm -hmm. and to get the infection um, away mm -hmm. and very slowly but surely I came out of the coma and I started to breathe on my own. I eventually came off that dialysis and I came back to life and there was great celebration and it was a miracle. But it came at a cost because the blood and the nutrients were taken away from my hands and my feet. And so my hands and my feet essentially died. They became necrotic, uh, gangrene, black in color, and shriveled, and disgusting, for lack of a better word. Um, and I'm an English major, so there are many. <laughs> but um, they had to be amputated. There wasn't a choice. Um, they were able to save most of my right foot, um, but they took my leg below the knee, and then they also took my hands. And so that makes me a triple amputee, but really 3.5 or something. They did it all in one big surgery, 
and um, it was sort of like a mani-pedi, but not. Because <laughs> there was a surgeon for my hands and a surgeon for my feet. But we really got the best and the best, mm -hmm. and best of the best, and we're so lucky to be in Charlotte where we have such great health care. And I'm so lucky that I had health insurance. And I'm so lucky that it was 2013 and not 1986 and not right. 1966 and, you know, mm -hmm. back and back. Mm -hmm. So um, today I'm here and I walked down the steps on my own mm -hmm. and I am pretty much a fully functional mom. Mm -hmm. And it is again quite a miracle that I'm here and I'm not here to take credit I um, to God be the glory and to my family and my friends be the glory because I've had so much help and um, we talked a few minutes ago about the importance of community well, I had such an incredible, and I still do have such an incredible community of people around me that have fed me and my family and nourished our souls as well. Mm -hmm. They have watched our children. They, I think they paid for my daughter's diapers for an entire year. And I don't even mean just paid for them, like they were in my garage. Mm -hmm. People brought paper products. I think there's still a roll of paper towels from Costco. <laughs> um, people are still bringing us meals. Mm. And it just, it gives me so much faith in humankind with all the bad things going on mm -hmm. right now. It's, it, the miracle really is mm -hmm. in, in the community that has taken care of us. Well, so let me ask you about, you know, you mentioned kind of the mom as the CEO of the family with five, with five children. Um, how is it different today parenting than before this happened? Well, I delegate. <laughs> I delegate. That's the management oh, 101. Uh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. And I, I ask for help. I, first, I admit that I need help. Mm -hmm. That might be the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And then you have to accept help and you have to even ask for help. And I have always been Miss Independent, you know, kind of like my four-year-old, just very stubborn, like, I'm gonna do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm still somewhat like that, which I think has helped me come mm -hmm. a long way, mm -hmm. um, given me that persistence. But in general, I, ask for more help and I accept that help mm -hmm. and I um, I really have built a board of directors around me mm -hmm. I've got my little girl who picks up the pieces whenever they're dropped mm -hmm. I've got another little girl that's my greatest cheerleader she's always encouraging me I um, was a runner before all of this happened and now I like to call myself a swimmer but I do swim laps and um, my little girls come with me a lot of times and they'll be swimming laps too and 
my she's eight years old and she will stop mid-lap and she'll give me two thumbs up and she'll say oh mom you're so fast <laughs> good job mom you know and just such the encourager mm -hmm. and I have another little girl that just sings all day mm -hmm. and just general little hippie keeps us happy. <laughs> I have another little girl. I just keep having little girls. There are four <laughs> girls and one boy, but I have another girl that is our star babysitter and she's free, mm -hmm. but she takes care of all of us mm -hmm. and she is our project manager. She knows who's doing what, mm -hmm. when it's due, how they should be punished and when <laughs> and she keeps us all on track yeah. and then my son is my protector he is you know he's my se so, uh, secret service hmm. all in one hmm. I love to tell this one story um, he one day we were in the grocery store and this was soon after I had gotten to where I could drive, which that's a whole other story. But uh, we were in the grocery store and I was pushing the cart. And this was when the cart was really my walker. I mean, I was really slow going, but I was going. And I was walking through the store and one child would come with me every time I would grocery shop. They would like I talked about, be my protector, but help me out along the way. And he was with me, and he, this was a couple of years ago, so he was 11. And you know how kids just disappear in the grocery store or in Target? So Ben had disappeared, and so I'm like, Ben, where are you? Keep up! You know, which I love to say, because that meant I was going fast, right? But so I was like, Ben, Ben, where'd you go? And, you know, along comes Ben, and he comes running up behind me, and he was like, sorry, I just had to take care of that. And I was like, what? What? What were you? What were you doing, Ben? I thought surely he'd gotten into the jelly beans, <laughs> and he was like, "Well, I mean, I just went and told her." And I said, "Who's? Who are you talking about? What did you do?" And he said, "Well, there was this lady staring at you, and I just had to go tell her that staring is rude, <laughs> and by the way, that that was my mom." <laughs> And I was like, Benjamin, you did not just do that. No. And he said, oh, but I did. And I was like, Ben, that is not your role in this world. You are a child. She is a grown-up. That is totally inappropriate. And he said, well, Mom, you know what? Somebody's got to do it, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> and I was like... Yeah, me too. Keep going. <laughs> I think everybody likes Ben. Right? Yeah, right. That's he's the muscle of the Seifert yeah, family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's in charge. He's yeah. King Ben. Yeah. yeah. Well, how would you, so if you, I want to talk about your business in just a moment, but before we get into that, so how has your style changed? You talked about delegating a lot more now and kind of having this cabinet or this board of directors with your family, but if you think back, is there any other style or change that that you see in yourself now that maybe you do differently or think differently than before? Well, another thing that I 
didn't mention yet is that I am not the sole president of the company. I am now a pro proprietor, <laughs> a, a, a double, what, I, why am I not saying that correctly? A co-proprietor. Anyway, my husband is the most amazing man and he does more than half the work now, I would say. But before this happened to me, I was everything in our family. I made it run, and he'll tell you that, that he did not lift he a finger. He actually has told me that. I mean, yeah. he, he did not know how to turn the dishwasher on. He did, I mean, it's really sad and really bad, that, but I admit it now. I mean, I let it happen. Mm -hmm. But he, um, the only reason he had changed a diaper is because we had twins. I mean, that's the only reason he had had to. I really did everything. And looking back, I really stole a lot of opportunities from him mm -hmm. by not making him step in and by not letting him mm -hmm. step in. Mm -hmm. And it's both and. And I think in the business world, we tend to do that as well. Mm -hmm. We don't trust anybody else to do it That's like right. we want it right. done. Right. So we do it all of ourselves. It mm -hmm. seems easier that way at the time. But in the end, it's not. Mm -hmm. So That's a big lesson in our leadership class. For those of you that have taken the actualized leader profile and have a high need for achievement, you know that that fear of failure shadow, you become micromanaging. and what I call the curse of perfectionism because life isn't perfect and uh, that I really love the way you frame that up as sort of robbing him from an opportunity. My parents to this day still fight about, my mom will bring up the fact that my dad, I have two brothers, never changed any of us and his response is I tried and after the third time he said I wasn't doing it right and that was just get out of the way, I'll do it. So I really like your kind of the, the, the analogy of robbing an opportunity. Let, so let's talk about your um, your business. So in addition to um, raising a family, you, you are uh, a motivational speaker, and I'd really like to maybe ask a few questions about that. So how how did that happen? Maybe let's start there. So how did you become a motivational speaker? What, right. what triggered that? Well, interesting story. I have had this mom's group that I've been avail been involved with at. St. Gabriel's Church and they had helped me so much and they're the group of ladies that I mentioned that still bring me meals on occasion mm -hmm. and I went there to they asked me to speak at one of the meetings and to just kind of bring everybody up to speed and so of course I would do anything for these ladies mm -hmm. and so I said sure absolutely and I went and I started speaking and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And turns out I was good at it. Mm -hmm. And I've come to realize that one, I really love a microphone. <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, I, I really, a lot of people get nervous being in front of people. It gives me energy. I love it. I love being with you guys here tonight. And so I thank you for having me. But I, it really started like that. Mm -hmm. And then 
friends of friends said, come speak to my group, come speak to my group. And so I have spoken at... I can't say most, but a lot of churches mm -hmm. in Charlotte. Now, we have a lot, but I've spoken at a lot. Um, and it's not just churches that I've had the opportunity to be in front of. I have done uh, lots of corporate speaking. Mm -hmm. I um, spoke at Lowe's last um, fall. I've got flown up to Baltimore by myself. Mm -hmm. I've also spoken a lot at um, high schools and universities. That is another group that I love to be with. When I was in graduate school, I focused on college students as mm -hmm. the population that I wanted to counsel mm -hmm. and work mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And I do just feel like all of this has come together so that I can help people help themselves mm -hmm. and motivate people. I just think that my counseling background mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the my spiritual background, my business background, it all has come together beautifully and that is part of what I am here to do. Mm -hmm. So I have started marketing myself. I have a beautiful sister who is a photographer and she's taken some great pictures of me and my family and made me a website and I have just really been enjoying it and have started speaking a whole lot mm -hmm. and, and really liking it. Well, so. What, so what is your key message? If you had to boil it down to a sentence or two, what, 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 is, what is the key message or impression that you're trying to convey or insight that you're trying to impart to your various audiences, churches, corporate, colleges, mm -hmm. universities, high schools? Is there, is there a central message? Well, like without giving away everything that I've got, I, um, I like to use this acronym, and the acronym is HOPE. And we all have our own definitions of hope. My big definition is believing that tomorrow can be better than today, and believing that you can get there. And my acronym breaks down into the H standing for help, mm -hmm. and building that board of directors around you. And it stands for accepting that help. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about that, so that's part of my message. The O stands for obstacles. And to really see obstacles as opportunities, opportunities to build endurance, opportunities to prepare yourself for what's going to be around the next corner, mm -hmm. to prepare yourself for the balls that will be thrown at you mm -hmm. during life. Mm -hmm. And the P stands for perseverance. I think you guys can just imagine all the persistence and perseverance that has gone into my recovery and still goes helps me go through every day mm -hmm. and to just no matter what keep trying. Mm -hmm. The E stands for expectations and having that end in mind. Um, just being able to see 
what your end goal is. Mm -hmm. In psychology and counseling, one of the tricks up our sleeves without giving that all away, <laughs> now you won't ever have to go That's to right. therapy, right? <laughs> um, it, it, one of our big tricks is to say, if you could wake up tomorrow and a miracle had happened, what would that look like? A miracle had happened, so everything in your life was better. Everything was right. What would that look like? And same thing for a business. If you could wake up tomorrow and your business was booming and successful and it was perfect, what does that look like? And you have to know that to get to that. Mm -hmm. And so my message is to hope and to keep hoping. Okay, excellent. Let me ask you about about your business now. So you, when did you start speaking? Maybe part one of the question, then part two. What are your dreams and aspirations? So when you dream about the future and you think about your business, tell me a little bit about, or tell us a little bit about what that is. What is your okay. expectation? So I um, had my amputations in January of 2014. And the first time I spoke, I would say was... When was it? My mom's here. Like the winter, the next winter. I don't know. Like next, the next November or December. I know it was winter. Mm -hmm. um, and so slowly, I've been going since then. I've really became serious about it in September of 16. That's when I launched my website and really started going after mm -hmm. that business part of it. Mm -hmm. Because I do see it as a ministry of sorts, mm -hmm. but I also see it as a business. And I, I really love it because it can allow me to make my own hours. Mm -hmm. It can allow me to really do the jobs that I want to do and mm -hmm. speak to who I want to speak to. Mm -hmm. um, and so my goal that I have, the end in mind, I would love to be doing, I don't know, three or four speaking engagements per month and also have a part-time private practice in psychology. Oh. Yeah, so I think I'd like to do both of those things. Okay, excellent, thank you. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask one more question, and then I did wanna let the audience know that we're gonna have some time for Q&A with everyone. So if you've been to these before, you know we always hold a few 10 minutes or so for questions. If you haven't been and you have a question or you want to be thinking of one, please start considering that now. But before we open it up for audience Q&A, I wanted to ask you about resiliency. So that is, a, that is one of the hallmarks of the McCall School. Our focus on leadership is on building resiliency because there's certain things uh, that we really can't build or develop. And we hate to hear that because we think, you know, apple pie and Chevrolet and baseball and we can be and do everything. And to a certain degree, that's true. But to a certain degree, there are certain parts of strategic thinking, for example, or our comfort with ambiguity. Those seem to be pretty well set after about age five. And it's difficult to change that. However, the good news is that resiliency and emotional intelligence are better predictors of success and happiness. And the second part of that they can be developed and enhanced. And so we talk a lot about how to assess your resiliency, how to develop and build that core capacity. Kristen, you embody resiliency. So what kinds of uh, thoughts, suggestions, 
counsel, advice do you have for us when we think about resiliency, both at our individual level, but also with teams, with organizations? When you think of that resiliency, what comes to mind? Well, first thing I would want to say is that we are all stronger than we think we are. We had, any one of you could come back from an illness like this if we try hard enough. Um, if you had told me four years ago that I was going to get my leg cut off and I would never be able to run again, I would have said, well, I wouldn't want to live, so, I mean, forget that. And I, that's, that would have been the end of the sentence. Mm -hmm. But we all do have this inner spirit that is the human way. And so I do think that resilience is possible. Now, what makes it probable, I guess, would be the question. Um, and how can we build it in ourselves? Well, one, you know, a big predictor is your support system. Mm -hmm. And in an organization, in a business, then absolutely building your team and having good people and having trust and loyalty and having just a support system mm -hmm. and personally or professionally either way. Mm -hmm. um, also just trying and trying again and building endurance and I can liken that to training for a marathon mm -hmm. because you just have to keep going a little farther every time and you're going to build up strength every time. When I first started learning to walk again, I had these goals. And every day, I would get a little farther. The first time I went out for a walk, I really just wanted to get to the mailbox. I never knew my driveway had a hill. <laughs> but it is, in fact, a very big hill. <laughs> but just getting to the mailbox was a big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And the next day, I got to my neighbor's mailbox. Mm -hmm. And the day after that, farther mailbox. Mm -hmm. One day, I might be really sore, so I'd have to stay home and I'd have to rest. Mm -hmm. Or I might, you know, lose function of one of my prosthetics. Things definitely have happened but you have to get back out there and keep going a little farther mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. So before I knew it, I was going around my cul-de-sac and then I had a goal to get to my girlfriend's house down the street. I had a goal to get to the park bench, which I never knew why they would put park benches in the middle of the neighborhood. <laughs> now I know, <laughs> is to have that chance to rest. Mm -hmm but to just keep going a little more mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. and um, building ahead of time, building the discipline mm -hmm. to come back.
from something. Well, so you've you talked about endurance and you talked about persistence, but one thing that you know for me that really duly noted, and you had mentioned this to me, and honestly, I'd forgotten it, that you were a marathon runner, and you kind of just said that like an oh by the way, and I mean, I have a hard time driving 31 miles, so I, I mean, that's a big big deal to run marathons and I and I wondered about that if, if you felt like that that kind of conditioning not just being in good physical shape but it's the I would think it would be the mental part of that too that had to really help in your recovery absolutely absolutely I another population that I've spoken to is athletes and both of those things are true mm-hmm. that um, activity the discipline of mm-hmm. it has certainly helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the muscle memory that I had built up helped me walk more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I was walking with a walker, and the physical therapist said, Kristen, just try something for a minute. Throw that walker over to the side, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be right here, and I'll get you if you fall. There's that trust thing. Mm-hmm. But just try. And so, of course, I tried because I keep going. I don't know, <laughs> apparently. But so, um, all of a sudden, I walked like seven or eight steps all by myself. Mm-hmm. And turned out the walker was holding me back. Yep. Because I just, re- my body remembered my gait. Mm-hmm. There is a type of cognition, that ki- kinetic memory, I think it's called. And your body does remember. So being an athlete and continually moving mm-hmm. certainly helps with your health. That also helps with my heart and lung strength, the capacity, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the discipline of it. So yes, I think doing any kind of um, athletic, I'm thinking about you know, kids in high school and whatever and mm-hmm. how we you know, should encourage that at all times. Mm-hmm. But um, that activity and the athletics still helps me and encourages me. I was involved with a program last winter where I won a scholarship to go to Colorado for a week and have private training and get instruction and go skiing. And it was the coolest experience wow. and to do this adventure sport and to know to stand up on that mountain and go I can do yeah. anything <laughs> and there is something to be said for that mm-hmm. and for the adventure of it I just applied for another scholarship this time it would be to go to California to Lake Tahoe and do over 50 adventure sports and we're talking like rock climbing, wow. whitewater rafting. Yeah, y'all are looking at me like, you're crazy, woman. But, and there's some of that too. But, there, you know, there's a psychology behind adventure sports mm-hmm. and how it does encourage you and, yeah. and, and give you the drive to do more. Okay. Excellent. Wow. Thank you. So. Thank All right, let's, let's open it up for some audience questions. We've got uh, time for a handful of questions, and then I may close this out by asking you to give us some advice or counsel uh, as, we, as we close out. But let me open it up now for questions from the audience. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Hi, my name is Stephanie Lewis. Um, so my question is, with the team, 
um, perspectives or personnel on the team, what would you recommend or what advice would you give to kind of help address those issues and build more um, positive vibes on the team? Hmm, that's a hard one. <laughs> so how to deal with in case someone didn't hear, her question is, if you're on a team and, you know, in athletics or at work, if there's some negative vibes, negative energy on your team, or frankly, a negative person, you can't just kick the person out sometimes, right? Um, I guess to just overcome those vibes and those people with your own positive energy and if it is a specific person to sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart with that person and tell the person you know I understand your negativity but it's not helping in fact it's hurting us and to just go right at it and not attack it but to address it and address that elephant in the room. Okay. So. Thank you. I, over here. Yes, Jennifer. Hi. Hey. Jennifer Levitt. I have a question just about your family view and how you, if you have a fear of getting sick or if they have a fear of getting sick or that, that they've had to get over or that you've had to get over Abs years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because my kids still get strep throat all the time and it can definitely be a fear um, and my children definitely have fears as well when I went, got on that airplane to go to Colorado last year all by myself I mean my son Ben did not want me to go and I don't think my daughter did either and so they definitely have fears. There's also a fear um, if I stay back, especially if I stay back from church, like because my prosthetic isn't working or because I'm sick or one of the other kids is sick. I mean, there is, um, you can feel mm -hmm. that fear mm -hmm. and Everyone deals with their fear in different ways according to their developmental stage and according to their personality. But again, you have to address it and you just have to kind of test it, you know, um, and have enough positive experiences where you're afraid and you do it anyway, if you have enough of those, then the fear gets smaller and smaller. Um, there's something, you know, there's something to this fake it till you make it thing. I, um, has anyone ever seen that TED Talk by Amy Cuddy about um, your uh, body language and fake it and you know until you become it um, I think that is really true and we have all just had to face the fears and do it anyway thank you great question it reminds me a little bit of a quote I think it's Thoreau who said do the thing you're most afraid to do and the death of fear is certain so that's good
Yes, ma'am. Can you tell us a little bit about your prosthesis and kind of the technology? Uh, yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because they are fascinating. Um, and I could talk all day about them. Now I could also complain about them all day because they br like these hands break um, every other week or possibly every week. I mean, everyone thinks that you get a prosthetic and then you're good and then you'll be fine. Well, this is my seventh prosthetic leg and the, this is the fourth set of sockets I've gotten on my arm because the the size of your extremities changes for the first year I was swollen and that swelling went down um, you know, over the course of the year but so my body got smaller and smaller and then I you know I lost weight um, and then I had to get new prosthetics and my muscles started to atrophy. I got new prosthetics. I had to get surgery on my leg. Again, new prosthetics. Um, and then, so there's a lot of change that goes on with them. And it's fascinating how much the fit is just essential. And they have to fit, I mean, my, my arms have, I have to put lotion on my arms in order to get them into the prostheses. But um, you have to be just wondering, how did she do that, right? <laughs> well, I'm bionic. So just call me the bionic mom. <laughs> um, so there are electrodes inside the arm and they pick up on the nerve, um, fi the firing of the nerves. Mm -hmm. So they pick up on your muscles moving. And so is my brain moving them? Well, sort of, because um, I still have the muscles and the nerves that moved mm -hmm. my hands and my fingers. And so the prosthetics work to use those things in order to open and close. Mm -hmm. It capitalizes on them. Mm -hmm. And so will were you will you will will you allow me to use your arm and your sure. hand for yep. a minute? Okay. And so I want you guys to do this too. Alright, so there's your arm. You're just going to hold it out. Okay. Now, you're going to pull your hand back, right? And now put it back to neutral, and then pull your hand back again. And I'll put it back to neutral. Okay, so next thing I want you to do is pull your hand down. Alright, and then back to neutral, and then down, and then neutral. Okay, so you guys got that part? Okay, you, got, you can do way more than I can do. You um, So, okay. So, when you pull your hand back, what muscles do you feel moving? Do it again. Do it a couple times. Here on the, yeah. Yeah, the top of your arm. Okay, so these muscles right in here. And then when you pull your hand down, where do you feel it? Down here. Uh, yeah. Yes, okay. So, there is an electrode that hits my arm right here, and there's an electrode that hits my arm right here. And so I've had to retrain my brain 
such that pulling my hand back is open and pulling my hand down is close. Oh, okay. So, open close. Yeah. And it is exhausting, quite frankly. I mean, I really do have to think. Every time I go to pick something up, mm -hmm. I have to think. Open, close. Um, you know, in order to get this glass of water, which is actually pretty risky, by the way, in or and something I worked on for months, um, but I mean, just to get this, have a sip, put that down, that's, I mean, three full days of work, just doing nothing but open, close, open, close at the rehab hospital. And I actually, months after I had gone home, which I initially spent six months in the hospital, and um, then I went home, and then once I got my hand prosthetics, then I went back to the hospital to learn how to use them. I told my kids I was going to hand camp. <laughs> because, you know, we talked about fears. Well, my kids did not want to hear that I was going back in the hospital, right? So I went back to hand camp and learned how to use them. And I spent the first two or three days just learning how to open and close. They hooked me up to a computer. I could see the uh, nerve energy up and down. I mean, it was fascinating. And it was also kind of like playing a video game, just to try to get the hands to open and to close. And open and close isn't that hard in the grand scheme of things. What's hard is to open them halfway or three-fourths of the way or one-fourth one of the way. Mm -hmm. It's hard to shake someone's hand and not squeeze their hand. But there's also a lot of good party tricks. Like if you give me a soda and I squeezed it, I mean, it, I mean, yeah. So we have so much fun with it, too. I also have some new skills. I'm very good at breaking the corn on the cob in the half, even though it's hot, you know, because it's not going to burn me. I, um, um, I, do, we have, do we have any undergrads here? Anybody? Okay. Anybody ever had ramen noodles? Okay. Um, it really kind of hurts your fingers. They're so hard to break apart, right? It doesn't hurt me. So I'm really good at breaking up ramen noodles, too. So there are always positives. Excellent. Thank you. This is a terrific question. Thank you. Okay, so I, I want to be mindful of the time. We are just about out of time, and I see some other questions. So please, if you can, join us upstairs, and you can uh, grab Kristen and, and ask your question there. But let's, let's close out maybe a little bit different. Um, you know, we've got uh, students, we've got undergraduate, graduate students, members of the community, alumni that are here that uh, know folks that maybe were going to come who didn't for whatever reason and or may run into someone and say, hey, what did I miss, you know, with the lecture. So what would your message want to be? If someone said, what did I miss, how would you want them to answer that question? What do you want us to carry back to the classroom, to our professional careers, and really to our lives? Okay. Um, I think you should say, oh my gosh, you missed the best speaker. <laughs> you missed it. I mean, this amazing, beautiful woman. Okay. Um, 
Uh, no, I hope that you will go and tell your friends and colleagues that you did see a woman who overcame a great deal and that she taught you a lot about how to overcome anything, about how you have to ask for help and surround yourself with good help and how to build endurance, how to persist no matter what, how to know what you want so that you can get it, and to just keep trying. Thank you. Please join me in thanking Kristen There's, there's one other thing that I feel compelled to say, and I was, I was making ticks every time you would, you would do this, and I stopped after seven, uh, but I want to make this explicit. The gratitude that you convey, the number of times you said, I'm so lucky, I'm so thankful, I'm so uh, fortunate, I'm so blessed. I mean, I, can't, I stopped after seven times, and that spirit of gratitude, along with a sense of persistence and faith and hope, is one of the most, if not the most, inspiring message I've had the honor of hearing sitting down here, low these many years, more than I would care to admit to. So, on just from the bottom of my heart, Kristen, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate it. We, we have a small token of our appreciation from Queens and the McCall School of Business. Thank I'll carry you. this upstairs and okay. I would ask if you can join us. If you'll please, uh, as always, I ask let us, if you'll let us get up the top here and we will be upstairs in the rotunda and we'll join you there. Thank you all again.